Well, uh, take your Bibles tonight and go to Acts chapter number 15. We'll actually start our reading in, in chapter 14, the last couple of verses there in Acts chapter number 14. Uh, we'll pause our series in 2 Samuel. We somewhat finished uh, at least a unit and then really chapter 11 will begin an, another unit. And so I think it'd be the right time just to take a pause before we take another run at it. Uh, in 2 Samuel, but I sure have enjoyed studying that and the relevancy of God's Word in 2 Samuel when the nation needs revival. So, But I wanted to do a sermon. I just felt impressed here uh, with regards even to our theme, teach them, as Jesus told us, to go and to teach all nations and, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded, uh, commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, Jesus said. So he said, teach them. Teach them. And uh, it's, it's a blessing to uh, be in a, around a church family and walk around and see a lot of that going on in uh, just very organic, very natural ways and very intentional ways too in, in classes. And I was just looking around, I saw older siblings helping younger siblings learn how to read the hymnal. How many of you ever got lost in the hymnal? You had no clue where, yeah. Yeah, you know what that's like. So where are we, where are we at? What are we singing? So that's, that's been neat, you know. And so a lot of teaching moments. In fact, that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. Think about, um, think about just being brand new, brand new to the faith. Maybe as an adult, which by the way, we have some just recently saved uh, that are just brand new to all this. And a lot of us have grown up in it maybe all of our lives, you know, and and, uh, but for many, that's just, just a brand new experience. And then uh, the number of kids and young people that are coming that it's just brand new to. Well, as we read here in Acts chapter number 15, we're reading about some that all this was new to them. It's just brand new to them. And so they needed somebody to teach them. Let's read a little bit about it here tonight. Acts 14, first of all, and verse number 16 says, And they sailed to Antioch. So this would be at the end of Paul's first missionary journey. They sailed to Antioch, uh, that'd be Antioch of Syria, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. It says, and when they were come, so when they came back to their sending church, can you picture this in your mind? They came back to their sending church. We're getting ready to send out the Hain lines right over here, brother Chad, just raise your hand, the Hain lines. Uh, April the 23rd, they have tickets now and going to Kenya. And so we'll send them out and then they'll come back and the girls will be real tall because <laughs> they change over those three to four years, however long it is that they're out. And so they'll come back and give a report. And so that's what's happening right here. So we're just carrying on New Testament missions is what it is. So they gathered the church together and they rehearsed, it says, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. I like what one individual said, said that uh, God gave them the grace, so they gave him the glory. That's pretty good right there, isn't it? God gave them the grace, he, they gave him then the glory. It says, and they... And there they abode long time with the disciples. Now, in chapter 15, we're not going to read all this because it's a lengthy account. But if you'd read along in verse number one, it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. True or false? False. False. No. Circumcision was never part of their salvation. It was uh, given to Abraham and to the Jews, but it wasn't part of their salvation. Abraham was saved before he got circumcised. So Paul said, so anyways, a lot of confusion here. Well, just imagine what all that confusion generated for the Gentiles who weren't Jews. And yet they're saying you have to observe the law. But I thought I was saved. Oh, no. Can you imagine? Okay, so confusion would set in. All right, now watch what happens. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Do you, you know what I'm saying right there? It got on. All right, no small dissension. So they, they got fervent about it. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Well, verse 4 tells us, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But, verse 5, everybody still following along right here? Verse 5, but... There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So we're not going to read all the verses here, but in verse number 20, verse number 20, we'll go back and fill in some of the blanks here. They determined to do this. Uh, often it's referred to as the Jerusalem Council. Basically, it's a missions conference. Going to say it that way. What were they conferring about? Missions. They were conferring about missions. So I don't think it's a stretch to refer to it as, a, well, a very unique conference. I, I sure give you that. Um, and so they determined in verse 20 to write unto them and to these new Gentile believers that they abstain and they listed these four things. From pollutions of idols... From and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Okay. Uh, verse 22, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Ju Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote the letters. I'm going to drop down to verse, uh, verse number 24. For as much as we heard that certain went out from us, troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom also we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord. Boy, I'm sure glad they got in one accord, aren't you? <laughs> to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men, I love this verse, verse 26. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to call the message tonight simply this, teaching moments, teaching moments, teaching moments in God's mission. Teaching moments. If you pay attention while you're in church, there'll be some teaching moments around you that you can be the one helping to teach or the recipient of it, some teaching moments in God's mission. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. 
Let's consider this together. I really want you to think a lot about discipleship even here tonight. Because our Savior said to go and to teach all nations, literally to make disciples of them. That is the idea, make disciples of them. Read through Deuteronomy, I came back across a, a verse that I love in terms of parenting and still try, trying to get this one down. I imagine there'd be other parents that could identify with this, but it says, and thou shalt teach them diligently, talking about the word of God, teach the verses, teach the Bible, teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. So what is, it, what is that saying right there? All the time that uh, children, young people need a lot of instruction, a lot of instruction needed. And God says, take advantage of the moments, the teaching moments. There'll be times when you're sitting down at the table and one of the kids is going to ask a question. Oh, that's prime time. And boy, can they come up with some doozies, right? Dad. <laughs> Anyways, all kinds of teaching moments. Uh, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you get in your car. Well, I didn't say when you get in your car, but that's the idea. When you walk by the way, when you go here, when you go there. Teaching moments, teaching moments. They come up and uh, very needful uh, in the home. Uh, Sunday school teachers, let me see your hands. Sunday school teachers here, Sunday school teachers and, and workers. Sunday school teachers and workers. Okay, great. Yeah, did you have some teaching moments today? When you're right there teaching a lesson and hands go, not hand, hands. Because one kid's hand generates other kids' hands. You know, and they all got questions. Well, those are really teaching moments. They're great opportunities, you know, teaching moments. And teaching moments at work and, and different places. I, I think you get the idea. And really, we need to be ready for those because it's a grand time to help someone to get on their way. And, and so, you know, I mean, we can apply that. In fact, as a, as a uh, thing in our home, I'm trying to apply the theme. I've got some teaching moments throughout the year. And, and uh, one of them was to talk about uh, long-term investments, uh, retirement. So I uh, got with Brother Copes. We went to a real fancy restaurant named the Chuck House. <laughs> okay, that's not a fancy restaurant. Uh, but anyways, we went there and, and he talked to Trevor and Trenton about investments. If you start now and you invest this much here, then you'll have this much there. It's a teaching moment. So I've got other things planned throughout the year for the boys that are teaching moments. And some of them are things like this. Take them coon hunting. Uh, got some friends at coon hunt and such. So, I mean, some really spiritual things that we're going to do, don't you know? But anyways, things like that all the way to... Um, Trenton will start driving this year. Mercy. Some teaching moments there. Uh, so life, I'm just trying to establish here up front, life is filled with a lot of teaching moments. And we've got to stay aware of them. You know, now, isn't it true that we can get so busy that we can kind of miss some of those teaching moments, uh, either in a classroom or in a setting and and uh, I've been the recipient of some teaching moments, have you? Where you had to be taught and instructed and reminded, or maybe, maybe you're, le you're a leader and, and it's just, you need to reiterate some things at this point and, and make sure that everybody's thinking on the same page. Those are very valuable teaching moments. Brother Sam's here tonight and I remember some teaching moments in our staff meetings. 
that Brother Ted needed and that uh, <laughs> others like that, Brother Seth uh, needed. And so anyways, but no, we all, we're the recipients of it. And, uh, and so anyways, we've got those teaching moments. Here we are looking at this text. This is the early days of the church planning effort. I mean, basically what has happened at this point, I mean, we're jumping right here, basically in the middle of Acts, right? 28 chapters, it's chapter 15. Um, I really believe this is one of the most pivotal chapters in the book of Acts uh, because it's establishing what would happen as all these Gentile believers are being saved, which by the way, glory to God that God's plan was to rescue and save Gentiles, non-Jews like you and me. And, uh, and thankful for that. Now, I know we may have some that have Jewish background here. I know that we do, but, but nonetheless, the gospel was to go everywhere. And so here it is, I believe a very pivotal time. Can I call it this? You know, they're, they're getting ready. Brother Roy's getting ready to host the GIBF, the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship meeting. In a sense, this was the very first Global Independent Baptist Fellowship meeting. How's that? Well, I mean, it was the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch and maybe others from other churches that had got established, but really just those two. And, and they were thinking about the globe, the need worldwide for the gospel to go everywhere. And they needed to get some things straight as they did. And so they're going to discuss world missions. Well, here we are getting ready uh, once again uh, but church, let me encourage you, don't ever let the missions conference become old hat to you. Uh, it's our most important week in the life of our church. I mean, if we ever lose our missionary zeal, I believe we're on a wrong track. It's vital that we stay very missions minded because missions is not supplemental to what we do. It is fundamental to what we do. It is very front and center uh, of what we do. It's why we are, it's why we are here. So here they were gathering together, basically church leaders like Paul and Barnabas and James, the pastor of the church in the First Baptist Church, don't you know, of Jerusalem and, and others like Peter, were, they were there. I mean, what a meeting. You imagine being at this missions conference and having these men stand up and give a report on what was going on and and uh, that's what we read about and how they, they said we saw people saved in Lystra. In fact, there was a young man in Lystra named Timothy. How about that? I mean, at that point, it just been a name named Timothy. Now, now we know Timothy. And, but the, this happened in Iconium and this happened in Derby, and, and this happened in Antioch of Pisidia. And, I mean, they're naming all that happened. I mean, basically, it's these missionaries giving a report just like these missionaries will. And we'll rejoice with them, just like we rejoice with people being saved here. Three saved, I think it was, out in the gym today. Two that got assurance of salvation there. Praise the Lord. Uh, Brother, Brother Raspberry, I mean, he, he, uh, he sent a text right before Sunday school uh, about Kelby, you know, that uh, Kelby Johnson bought the truck from, that he got saved. His wife got saved today and his daughter Amelia got saved today. Amen. Before Sunday school. It's incredible. I stand in awe of our great God. That's what they're doing. They're, they're standing in awe of what God did and seeing souls saved. And, and so they had a common goal. They had a common frontier. They had a common harvest. They had a common problem. 
How do we get this gospel? And what does it look like when the gospel is dropped into these Gentile locations? And by the way, people don't need to become Americans to become Christians. Okay. We take the gospel and it's being exported. It's being sent to Japan and they can continue to be in Japanese, but they be Japanese Christians. And so the gospel is designed to impact every culture. And so, but there would be some very unique things back then, just as there are now in terms of trying to contextualize the gospel as it's dropped into this, you know, uh, context, how much of their culture could come in and continue on in their life, how much should change. By the way, that's not just for them to think about, that's for us to think about, because we've got some things in our culture that doesn't need to be in our lives, mind you. So the gospel was going everywhere, challenging circumstances. And so here it was, a great door that was before them, and yet some stood in opposition. Yet some stood in opposition. Well, that's, that's uh, certainly not anything that just remained in the first century church planting effort. In fact, um, uh, Warren Wiersbe, I'd like to quote him. He said, the progress of the gospel has often been hindered by people with closed minds who stand in front of open doors. I'm gonna run that by you one more time. The progress of the gospel has often been hindered by people with closed minds who stand in front of open doors and block the way for others. And then he quotes uh, or he gives an example of that in 1786 when William Carey laid the burden of world missions before the, the meeting in Northampton, England. The eminent Dr. Ryland said, young man, sit down. Can you imagine this? Here's a young William Carey standing up to say, God has put on my heart a need for the gospel in India. And one of the older preachers said, young man, sit down. When it pleases God to convert the heathen, he will do it without aid of you or me. Calvinism. Calvinism was wrecking world missions. Well, I'm glad William Carey didn't sit down. I'm glad he stood and, and said, no, but there's a need in India and, and I'm willing to go into India. And that he did and became known now as the father of modern missions. But some stood with a closed mind before an open door. William Carey wrote an important missionary document. Sometimes you might think that the titles are long here that we give to sermons. If you count the title plus a subtitle. But listen to this title. Are you ready for it? An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of heathens in which the religious state and of different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings and the practicability of further undertakings are considered. <laughs> Friend, now listen, that's a title. You, you've got to live in the 1700s to write a title like that, friend. Basically saying this, what has been done, what needs to be done, and what will be done if we do God's calls and world's missions. It's brilliant. Well, somebody needs to do that today, don't they? Because there's still a great, vast majority of our world today that's yet to hear the gospel. And we've got to concern ourselves with that great need. And that's certainly what they were concerned about here in this missions conference. I want to remind you as we get ready for the missions conference that every church that is indeed his church is the headquarters for world missions, including this church. Headquarters for World Missions, because listen, I, I know you know this, but I think it's good for us to be reminded that global missions has got to be carried out through the local churches. Global missions is the business of the church. It is not the business of a fellowship. 
We may fellowship together with other churches like is going to take place in Arizona this week. We have other mission-minded churches. David Hetzer will be there to preach and others that we love dearly will be there to preach. Carrie Nance from Tampa, Florida. I mean, men are getting together. But a fellowship cannot start churches. Churches must start churches. They, a fellowship has no authority to baptize. A, a fellowship has no authority, no authority. That'll do. Bible colleges cannot send out men to start churches. We have no authority at Heartland Baptist Bible College to send out anybody or to baptize anybody. Now, I'll tell you what happens whenever we have the youth conference and a bunch of Heartland guys get together with a bunch of youth conference guys. There's a lot of dunking that goes on at the, I don't know how it is with the ladies' time at the youth conference, you know, as we have Whitewater Bay rented out or whatever it's called now. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, unauthorized baptizing that just goes on there. I'll just say it that way, all right? But that is not a legitimate baptism. No, it's got to be a church that is indeed his church that is by the right doctrine and all those other things. Hey, only churches can do that. Not Bible colleges and not the state, not the federal government, not, not a, an, a, a, a ministry that is not a church and not individuals, not a missions agency, no denomination, no board. Hey, the work of the gospel squarely rests in the hands and the operations of the local church. It's the business of Southwest Baptist Church. Well, right here, they needed some clear direction. They wanted to be able to be a help to these new believers. I mean, I, I tried to get you thinking already to just imagine that now you just left idolatry and, and now you've come to Christ and, and your whole life is new. And yet there's all these questions and you hear somebody stand up and they sound very theological and they say, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to observe the holy days. You've got to keep the law to be saved. And you say, well, but I, Peter was preaching and my heart was stirred, or Paul was preaching, and I was convicted, and all I knew was I was a sinner, and Jesus died for me, and I asked him to save me. I thought that's how you got saved. That's it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's it. So if you're here tonight and you need Jesus as your Savior, it's not that you jump through a bunch of hoops, friend. Listen, here's all that you do. You hear that Jesus died in your place, was buried, and rose again, and you trust who he is and what he did to save you, and friend, that's what he'll do. He'll save you. And so there's all this confusion and they needed somebody to help them. What did God do? That's all I want to try to deal with tonight is what did God do to help these believers? Get clear on this. What did he do? Well, I mean, we could walk through and there's a lot of details here. So it's, it's rather challenging to know just how much to, to really take in on this. But, but if you just look back at, at verse number seven, if you would please, as Peter is the first to speak. He's the first preacher in the missions conference. How are we doing so far? Everybody following that? He's the first one to preach and he rose and he spoke and said, men and brethren, I'm in verse number seven. You know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the gospel, the word of the gospel and believe. You know what he's talking about right there? Cornelius, Cornelius. When he was there in Joppa and and they sent for him and he went up to Caesarea Maritina and, and spoke to, to, uh, to Cornelius and, and, and God uh, saved him, my soul. What an open door for world missions. Incredible. Incredible. 
And so here we, let's read on in verse number eight and says, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us. And put no difference between us and them, their, purifying their hearts, how? By faith. That's, that, that's, that's the only way that anybody's ever gonna get saved is by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why, look what he says in verse 10. This is awesome. Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Isn't that great? Peter says, excuse me, you weren't able to be saved by keeping the law because you couldn't keep the law. I couldn't be saved by keeping the law because I couldn't keep the law. Why do we want to put a yoke on them to keep the law if they could, and we couldn't keep the law? That's good preaching right there. I think Peter was thundering that out, don't you? And he said then in verse number 11, but we believe, oh, I love this, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and not saved, you can be saved by grace through faith, just like Peter was. So what Peter is saying, listen, this is how God operated in the past. Relatively close past, because that was just back in chapter 10. All right, now, look who speaks next. The next preacher up in their morning service or evening service, whichever it was. Uh, imagine it went kind of long, don't you? Imagine kids were wondering, I wonder if we're ever going to get out of here. Peter's preaching. Paul's preaching. Oh, no. James. Anyways, all right, look at it. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So that was a little bit closer to time. So here's what God has done in the past. And here's what God has done relatively recently with regard to Paul and Barnabas and the first missionary journey. Here's what God did. He saved them then just like he saved Cornelius. Same way, by grace, through faith, nothing of the law, only by faith. So then now James is the next preacher in the conference in verse number 13. And it says, and they held their peace. And James answered saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon or Peter had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take, oh, I love this verse, to take out of them a people for his name. You know what God did in Oklahoma City? He took out of them a people for his name. That's what Southwest Baptist Church is. We are a people for his name. That's why we're having these missionaries who are coming and as they're here and the brewers sent to Brazil, the wild west part of Brazil, the northwest part to take out a people for his name. Cambodia, Czech Republic, France, Germany, Japan, Kenya, Uganda, Uganda, two from Uganda, to take out a people for his name. James says that's what God's purpose has always been. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. That's one of the first lessons I learned in my introduction to missions courses. I was a missions major and, and uh, that's what we went over. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. The God of the New Testament is a missionary God. The Holy Ghost of the New Testament is a missionary, is a missionary God. The Christ of Calvary is a missionary God. I mean, all that, it's all about missions. So James is... Preaching, he says, God, God's taking out a people for his name. 
And to this, verse 15, to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Verse number 16, after this, I will return. He quotes out of Amos chapter nine, verse 11 and 12. And he's talking about how that God would build up the tabernacle of David. As we actually are reading in 2 Samuel and eventually Jesus will come back and, and set up the kingdom and that will be completely fulfilled. But James right here is saying, hey, 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 hey. This is all in line with what God's plan has always been. To take out a people for his name, not just among the Jews, but among the Gentiles as well. That the rest of the people, verse number 17, might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doth all these things known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And I love what he says in verse number 19. He says, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them. Let's not bother them. Let's not bog them down with, with all the law and all those requirements. That's not God's plan. Let's not, let's not do that. Now, let's give them some, here's what I'm going to refer to it as, some basic guidelines. Let's give them some very basic guidelines. Let's give them some things that will help them. Let's, let's teach them some things. So what does he say to teach them? Look at verse number 20. Verse number 20, he advocates taking this as a teaching moment for the Gentiles. This is Pastor James speaking up and he says, let's teach them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? They need to be done with idolatry. A clean break with their past. Teach them to be done with the things of their past. Well, that'll still preach today, won't it? Teach them, help them. Teach them to be done with the things of their past. Teach them. And then he says uh, to, to abstain from fornication. Teach them. Can I say to you today that today we're going to need to teach them to be done with fornication? Sexual sin? What was binding to them back then is binding to men and women today? And God is saying, hey, let, let's take some time and teach them and help them to understand to be sexually pure. Okay, and then things strangled and from blood. Both of those have to do with idolatry and, and um, that they were not to eat, eat blood and such as that is all, all connected with that. In other words, he's saying, listen, there's some things that would cause others to stumble. Let's teach them to live a life that's above reproach. Let's teach them. Let's teach them some, some basic guidelines. Okay, so when God wanted to help new believers... He gave them some basic guidelines. You know, you know what we contend to do? We contend to overwhelm new believers. It's going to take some time for them to learn. And we, we really just need, like Brother Raspberry, the class that he's teaching right now and the discipleship book that we have, Starting Your Journey with Christ, that Brother Perkle wrote and we worked on with together. It just gets down to some basic things that new believers need to understand. It's things like this. You can know you're saved. And once you're saved, you're never out of God's family. Now, since you're saved, things need to be different. And, and there, there ought to be some change that's coming in your life. But be very patient in helping to teach them some very basic things. Here's what baptism is. Here's what the church is. Those things really need to be taught, don't they? So we've got some teaching moments. You know, there's, a, there's some fancy ways to tie your tie. I'm looking around here and I, I, can, I can point out a few. Of course, we've got some bow tie wearing people, right? Now that's fancy stuff. 
But we need, when you're teaching somebody to tie a tie, you don't start out with that. Where's Ray Painter? Ray, he wears his tie backwards every time I see him. I don't know how you tie that thing, Brother Ray. And others that are like that, that is, that is unreal. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. What, what's that called? Is it really? Well, it sounds godly. Okay, so I can't say much about it. So fine, I'll leave that alone. All right. The Trinity knot. <laughs> you got me on that one, Brother Ray. That's good. But when we start out, you know, I enjoy trying to help. Maybe you know, I, had a, I had a classmate at uh, Baptist Bible College. He came to Bible College not knowing how to tie a tie. And every day for a good number of weeks, I tied his tie every day. And finally taught him, man, you got to get this down, you know, on how to tie a tie. And, but I love working with kids on how to tie a tie, you know. And, but I don't start them out on, well, I don't know how to. Brother Ray, you'd have to teach me. I just teach them how to do a double Windsor. Somebody in class called it a man of God tie. So anyways, that, I don't know if that's what it is, but no, when you start out, you, you start with some basics. When you teach kids to tie shoes, you start out with some basics. When you, when you start out uh, driving a car, you start off with some basics. As people get saved and they come to Southwest Baptist Church, we just need to start very simply with them some basic guidelines. It doesn't mean that they don't need some of these other parts. But, but what we need to do is just be very patient and start out just with some very, very basic things. That's what I see that they were doing. Now, these were big deals. I'm not minimizing for them to be done with idolatry, to be done with fornication and all these other things. No, 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 I, I'm not saying that at all. But they needed somebody to teach them and they had to start somewhere. Oh, they would learn about eschatology, wouldn't they? Sure they would. And they would have questions about eschatology. They would write to Paul and say, now, wait a minute. What about the people that already died? What happens to them if Jesus comes again? Great question. And thus we have the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we have a whole book of the Bible that's a teach them moment. Along with other things that they had questions about. So questions are going to come up, but they, he started with some very basic things. And so that, I'm just advocating that here tonight. If we want to help those that are coming behind us, then we've got to start with some basic guidelines. Okay, let me, let me come back to that as well in here in just a moment. The second thing that I see that they did to help these brand new believers was this. They put some godly people in their life. They sent Barnabas and Saul or Paul back and they sent some other men with them. You, you, know, you know what new believers really need? You. You. Young people, teenagers, there's some young, young people that are riding the bus right now that don't have maybe a mom and dad that are keeping them in church. You know what could really help them? You taking a real friendship in them. And I know that you, I watch you do that. It's fantastic. And there's people that are coming in here on Sundays and Wednesday that are, that are not church folks. And, and hey, you know what? They come in here and they feel awkward as all get out. You know what all get out means. I, I don't exactly know all that that means. I, really awkward. And they need somebody just like you to be a friend to them. You say, yeah, but man, Brother Gaddis, what if they ask me about the Trinity? Send them to Brother Ray. <laughs> what if they ask me a question about eschatology? What if they ask me about the hypostatic union? What if they ask me about something like that? I'm trying to think of something else that sounds smart. What if they ask, hey, don't worry about that. Just be a friend to them. That's right. Yes. 
So I see they need some basic guidelines and they need godly people. Basic guidelines and godly people to teach them. Basic guidelines and godly people to teach them. And, And don't think you're not qualified to do that. Now you need to be godly. And you need to know some basics, sure. But, but in the process, here's what I've learned, that as they ask questions, I learn things. Because I say, you know what? I don't, I don't know. Let me go see. That's the best answer you can give. If you, don't, if you generally don't know, just say, I don't know. Let me go see. And then dig in. We're living in a culture right here in the United States of America that is increasingly more and more biblically, Illiterate. And they need somebody that'll just come alongside of them and teach them. So I want to challenge you this year. Let's not expect our missionaries to do that and us and we not do that. Uh, uh, I think Angie's taking a similar approach in the ladies' luncheon and the men. We're going to do something a little bit different this year in the, in the breakfast time. And we're not going to do a panel discussion like we typically do. We're going to ask the veteran missionaries to do a teach them testimony. Tell us about one man, Brother Stensis. Tell us about a man in Uganda. Brother Buford, tell us about a man in Uganda. Um, Brother Brewer, tell us about a man in Brazil that you're teaching. And get a teach them testimony. I'm going to ask Brother Billy Coley, tell us about a man who taught you, namely his dad, to do a tribute to his father, who's in heaven now, Brother Bill Coley. Teach them. But wait a minute, wouldn't it be hypocritical of us to expect them to have some teach them testimonies, and we don't? So I want to challenge you to have a teach them testimony by the end of the year. How's that? That God would challenge you. And maybe even right now, there's already somebody that God has put in your life. For me right now, it's Kelby. And and others like that. But that's who it is. There's another man that I'm working on. Try to see him saved. But you need to have somebody that you're working on. Teach them basic things. Teach them basic things. And be a godly person. And God can use you to help another generation. We get to be a help to the missionaries as they come. We get to support those who are going to go and teach faithful men. And, and church, let, let's, let's do it at a high level. Let's do it at a high level. They're, they may come in here tired, the missionaries might. And our prayer is that um, they, they just leave here refreshed. And most of the time they say, man, this is one of the busiest conferences I've ever been a part of. But I'm refreshed. That's our goal. That's our prayer. They'd be refreshed. Because that's how God helps people. Is he sends us out to give them basic principles. Okay, so think about this. And we're we're just about done. Think about this. There's a young generation here growing up that needs somebody, moms and dads, grandparents and otherwise, to teach them about the right way to do relationships. Can Can I take this principle that we talked about in world missions and apply it to all of life? really works, doesn't it? Teach them some basic things. Here's, here's step number one. You say to them this, stay away from each other. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, you can talk, but make sure you got 10 foot apart. 
Okay, be realistic. Uh, a lot of young people messing up their lives in fornication today. Let's teach them. Let's teach them to wait. It's a basic principle. The history of the United States of America has enough evidence to show the chaos and confusion and hurt that happens in sexual relationships outside of marriage. Let's teach them. We want to teach you the right way to do this, God's way. Teach you. Teach them. Teach them. Teach them about finances. Don't mess your life up with credit cards. Give to God. Live within your means. You know what we're giving them? Advice that your grandmother would have given them. Isn't that right? Know what Dave Ramsey says? It doesn't matter if it's Dave Ramsey says that or not. It's true. Live within your means. You don't have to have everything that everybody's got. You don't have to have a fast car. Just have one that runs. <laughs> Teach them. A lot of things that a lot of people need to learn, right? And we, we're in a place, if God has taught you some things, listen, even when you've messed some things up in the past, you're a great candidate as a teacher. Because you can say, don't do like I did. Right? Teach them. Teach them. I close with this. I think about Miss Sue Yeager one more time here uh, this weekend. She had this testimony. She had a real burden for young ladies that were like pastor's wives to learn how to play the piano really quickly so they could help their husbands. She played that evangelistic style uh, music with the Yeager singing. And the family singing at that, in fact, mercy sakes alive, good stuff. And uh, she taught a lot of young ladies how to play the piano. Quick, fast. Made me think maybe I could learn. But I'm going to give up on that idea. But it would teach them the chord and do some things. But more than that, what happened is that in the process of doing some of those lessons, like Brother David shared about you, Miss Shelley, that you'd go in for one of those lessons and what was a 30-minute session turned out to be an hour and a half long. He said, man, she couldn't learn piano very well. No, it wasn't that. It was just relationship, wasn't it? It's an older lady teaching a younger lady. It was a teaching moment. That's it. We need some more Sue Yeagers. We need some more just like that, that will invest like so many of you are doing. I just encourage you, keep it up. But let's get a vision of that, that God could use you to impact the next generation, to help stabilize their lives, just with some basic truths and the interaction with some godly people. That's what's greatly needed today, I do believe. Father, thank you this evening. Lord, um, you chose to be through local churches just like Southwest and through family life too. I would be amiss if I didn't emphasize the role that we have as parents and even grandparents to try to impact the next generation. But also through the local church, you determined to equip those that you've saved, whose lives you've changed or began to change. 
And I pray that you'd help us to take this admonition tonight, to have a heart, to try to help with some basic guidelines and to be a godly person and influence in someone's life. So help us to look for those teaching moments, I do pray. Please bless, I pray, our conference coming up. Lord, I know that out of this meeting that was here in Acts 15, that more preachers went out. The second and third missionary journey of Paul. More were saved, baptized, and more churches started and more sent out as a result of just this meeting. And God, I pray that as a result of this year's missions conference, that more would go out so that more would hear, so that more would be saved, baptized, and joined together in churches so that more could go out and more could hear and more could be saved and so forth. God, help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.